So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you would, just allow me to encourage you this morning, real briefly, just by saying, letting go of what holds us back. Why does it feel like believers are advancing at a snail, snail's pace? Why does it seem like for every step forward, we take three big hops back? Does it sometimes feel like there are more things on the road of life to trip us up than things that can propel us forward? For all the things that we go through, things we suffer through, things that we fight through, God has promised to be with us and has given us assurance that he has prepared a path for us and secured victory for us if we continue to walk by faith. However, in our walk along the way, in order to see the kindness and goodness of God, we must be willing to get serious about the things we hold on to. If truth be told, there's peace that we forfeited, victories that we didn't show up for, power that we didn't receive because of things that we still hold on to. The fact is we'll never experience the fullness of God in our lives and the rewards he gives because of the dysfunction we still hold on to. We'll never see what he wants to give us if we keep looking at what we won't let go of. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. We can make a full stop there. Because what happens is we hold on a lot of times because of our view of him. Or our distorted view of him because of what we've gone through or what we still hold on to. We still hold on to our way of handling problems. We still hold on to our way of thinking about certain scenarios and situations. But if we come to him and believe that he is, then whatever issue we have, he is. Whatever thing we're dealing with, he is. Whatever situations we don't have answers to, he is. When we've tried all that we have, all that we can do, he is. And then it goes on and says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we're seeking him, we're not searching ourselves for the solution. If we're seeking him, we're not seeking two by four understanding of the world and the culture. We don't let what the world says define what can happen in our lives because he is. Yes. 
and we know that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. So we don't take the easy road or we don't take the road that's given by conventional wisdom, but we seek God for the way to navigate. We seek God for the way to deal with, to get out of, to speak to, to speak over, to confront. But he rewards those who diligently seek him. And I love this scripture because the word diligence, the only way to be diligent about something is to keep going after it but never get it. Because once you actually lay hold to it, you're not being diligent anymore. You've succeeded. You're successful. But he said, who diligently seek me? Does it? So it doesn't mean that you're going to get the fullness of him, but you won't stop until you get some of him. Until you get something from him. And then once you get that something, you keep searching for more. Right? Because diligent means you just don't give up. Even if you got a little bit of him now, you want more of him tomorrow. Even though you get more of him tomorrow, you plan it for next week. I'm going to keep going after God. I'm going to keep chasing after you. As the deer panted after the water brook. So is my soul. Right? But a few areas that the enemy will use or that the enemy will try to attach to us that we hold on to that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God in our lives and holding us back from the victory he wants us to live in. The first one, unbelief. Fear of God not coming through on our behalf. Fear of God not coming through for us. Unbelief can stem from hurts, pains, disappointments, letdowns, abandonment, and even our own inadequacies. Because of unbelief, we, we fuel our unbelief because we're consumed with doubt because we're looking for his hand when we need to trust his heart. See, if we don't see it happening before us, we start doubting. If we don't see the manifestation, we don't believe as much. If we don't see the tangible, physical material, we forget what he said and who he is and what he's done. Because remember, the Bible lets us know that God so loved the world that he gave his son his only begotten son, to do what? To die for you and me. So if he will, is willing to die for us, isn't he willing to help us out with our problems? If he can solve our sin issue, isn't he going to help us with our personal issues within ourselves, between one another? But because if we don't see it happening right away or if the enemy kicks up, <laughs> if the enemy starts to kick up, we fall back in our belief. Numbers 13, 32, and 33. Numbers 13, 32, and 33. And it reads, And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. 
they came back with the report of what they saw, but before they left, God gave them and told them what he was going to do if they just walked by faith. God didn't tell them that there wasn't giants in the land. God didn't tell them that it was going to be easy. God didn't tell them that there wasn't going to be opposition. But what God told them was that if you go on my word, you will have victory over each and every situation. But sometimes, even our own belief, we tend to mess up the definition of words. We want the victory, but the only way to get a victory is to be in a battle. Only way to get the victory over anything is to be in a battle with something. And we have to be honest, honest enough to identify what that something is and then have the courage to go challenge it because God said that if you walk by faith, you will have the victory. Trust in me, diligently seek me, apply my word, obey my commandments, you will be victorious. Romans 4, 19 and 20. Romans 4, 19 to 20. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, speaking of Abraham, already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, two dead things. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. We all know what happened, so we ain't going to go into all of that. But the fact is, they were in impossible situations. He wasn't functioning. She wasn't functioning. God said, go produce. So you're in a dysfunctional situation, but God wants you to bring fruit out of it. You're in an impossible situation, but God wants you to do the impossible. Or as a matter of fact, he said, I'll do the impossible. You just go do it. Because you notice what he asked them to do was not beyond their capabilities. What he told them to do was not beyond their know-how. It was just what was going to happen after they did their part. We get so caught up in the impossible that we forget to do the things that we can do. Unbelief will stop us from doing the things that we can do so God can do the things that we can't do. God didn't tell them to cause their bodies to wake up. He just says, go do something. Go do something. And we're going to leave it at that. Go do something. Tell your neighbor, go do something. Right. Unbelief will stop you from doing the things that we can do. And then we complain to God, God, you are providing miracles for me. He said, you are marching. Right? Thank you, sir. I intend to. But they didn't, they weren't tasked with doing the impossible. They were tasked with doing what they know to do, what they know how to do, what they can do. And when they do that, God said, I'll do the impossible. Because I'm the one that can call those things that be not as though they were. I'm the one that can speak that can quicken if the dead. I'm the one who can speak and resurrect the dead. Because I am the resurrection, Jesus, oh Martha. I am the one who brings things back to life. I am the one who can regenerate those things that have died. Don't you tell me about science. Don't you tell me about law. Because if I open my mouth and begin to say what I want, those things will come to be. Because remember, the Bible says in the beginning was God. 
And when he opened his mouth, he created the universe. When he opened his mouth, water and fire came. When he opened his mouth, animals came. When he opened his mouth, man came. When he opened his mouth, We have to remember the God that we serve. Because by walking in faith, we give God glory. Look at where glory comes from. We give God glory in church through our speech, through the songs we sing, lifting of hands. Some may walk, some may cry, some may, may, may swing and rock and wave. Some may run, some may bow down. We give God glory and that's great. But you want to give God glory? Start walking in faith in your impossibilities. Start walking by faith when things aren't going your way. Start walking by faith when the enemy comes to attack you in the midst of your storm. You're already in a storm, but now the enemy's got involved in it. The crosswinds are blowing and he's shooting fiery darts at you. Right? 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. And we're moving swiftly. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Thank you. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? That's why this Bible we read. That's why this life that we live not only confuses so many, but it gets on their nerves. Because at the end of the day, everything that they're clamoring for in this world that they think makes them happy only disappoints them. Because if doing what you wanted to do and how you felt how you wanted to do it made you happy, there'd be a whole lot of happy people running around. But we seems we're getting more angrier and angrier. Right? So there's things that, there, there are things that are spiritual that has to be discerned spiritually has to be received spiritually. So that means you got to get out your flesh. Right? Because the spiritual is not always going to make sense to the flesh. It's not always going to make sense in the natural. But we know the spiritual controls the natural. What happens in the spiritual will soon or later manifest itself in the natural. Right? That's when we can stand at an empty, uh, empty table with only a little bit of food and say, Lord, I thank you for this bountiful blessing. You got a, a can of beans and some Frank sitting on your table thanking God for this bountiful blessing. Going to the gas station with only $2 and you know it costs $3.50 to fill it up. But Lord, I thank you. Thank you for transportation. And when your car breaks down, you look at your shoes and say, I guess I'll walk and walk by faith. Going to a hospital room, you know they gave you a diagnosis of death. But Lord, I thank you for life and that more abundantly. See, you're operating in the spiritual now because you're going by what was said as opposed to what you see. The second error is disobedience. Disobedience. Mistrust in God's process and plan for us. And disobedience shows up in our repeated destructive cycles. Repeated destructive cycles. Bad decisions. Failures, defeats, inconsistencies, and us living by not his will, 
but our will be done. We're not in favor of what God is requiring us to do or the direction he's asking us to go in. Ephesians 2 and 2. It says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Right. We know what, if, if we're believers, we know what God has said. We know, or at least have heard to some degree what God has promised, but because it doesn't look like what we think it should be, we start deciding to go our own way. But by going our own way, we keep bumping our heads. And then when we bump our heads, we begin to be disobedient to God because it didn't work, Lord. I tried to do it, but it didn't work, so I'm going to keep doing it this way. And we keep going that way. And next thing you know, we're so far that way that we miss the mark. Disobedience. My mother-in-law, I heard that she used to say something like, sin will take you further than you want it to go, make you stay longer than you want it to stay, and be around people that you don't need to be around. Disobedience. Right? But look what happens, even though we're walking in disobedience, which we know is influenced by the prince of the power of the air. We know that's Satan, the devil, that serpent of old, old Slewfoot, right? I heard somebody call him that one time. Like, I didn't see that, but I got to keep reading. Maybe I missed it, right? He's Slewfoot. <laughs> All right? We know that those things are influenced by him, but because of our own desire to want to do things our way we yield to that we give in to that we accept that right but look what God does he in Micah 7 and 18 Micah 7 and 18 it says who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions some translation says passing over the disobedience of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. One thing God shows us when we're disobedient is mercy. Right? Anybody here ever been a child of a parent? That should be, that should be most of us. That should be most of us. And if we're honest, if your parent is here, don't say anything. But if we're honest, you actually did some things you should have gotten in trouble for. Right, don't say nothing. If your parent here, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing because I don't want you to get in trouble. If you made it past, shh, don't say nothing. Just repent and keep moving. But the fact is we did some things that we know we should have gotten in trouble for. We disobeyed the rules. We came in late. We took a whatever of whatever. Put, put, fill in your whatever, whatever. Right? But you, lived, you lived in disobedience. And when you were caught, when they found out, you knew that there was certain punishment. Right? I know we live stream, so we won't say beatings. We'll say certain discipline, certain disciplinary actions. Is that right? Can I say that, Dr. Habersham? Certain disciplinary actions were waiting us. 
right? But the times when you know you should have gotten it, but your parents thought it best to show you mercy. There were times when your parents didn't give you what you deserved. There were times when your parents didn't exact that disciplinary action on you because they looked past your disobedience. They looked past your insubordinates. They looked past your stupidity and said, if I just give this boy a little more mercy, he might get it. If I show him mercy, he might pick up the understanding. If I give him mercy, he might get the wisdom. God is looking to give us mercy even in our disobedience. That when we disobey him, going to our own decisions, he says, just come back to me because there's some mercy I want to show you. Because truth be told, the consequences of your actions dogged you out enough. Anybody had to deal with consequences of what you've done. Sometimes some of us went through consequences when we were looking for punishment. Like, I'll take the disciplinary action. I don't want to keep dealing with what I'm doing now. The consequences of what you did, right? But there's mercy, even in our disobedience. The third thing is sin. Not accepting the changes God has for us. Our own personal proclivities and devices. Even after salvation, if we're not careful we will go back or we have the desire to go back to what was comfortable and or pleasing based on our desires and not his. When we're blood washed, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We exchange our lives of sin for his life of salvation and sanctification. We receive the blood we receive the transaction, we receive the transfusion, but sometimes we don't want to take or sometimes we don't want to accept what's required or what now happens because of this new life, right? If we're not careful, we'll go back to what's comfortable, right? Life starts lifing, we go back to what we knew worked before or what we thought worked, right? When life starts lifing, we'll go back to this, we'll seek that comfort zone, that thing that made our flesh feel good. God saves you from a life of drugs, not careful. God saves you from a life of promiscuity, if you're not careful. God saves you from a life of lying and stealing, but if you're not careful, right? And the list goes on. And this is believers, that if we're not careful, even after conversion, we'll still seek what's comfortable to the flesh. We'll still seek what's comfortable to our egos, right? Our egos. We'll still seek what's comfortable to, 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 to our psyches, right? Because now what happens is working out salvation in us causes us to run and push away from sin. But truth be told, we weren't always running from sin. Let's be honest. Today's Sunday. We can tell the truth. There are some sins that we were involved in that we were like, well, can we keep doing this? I'm going to be honest. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. 
there were some sins at the point of conversion that I had to fight to not go back to. Now, there are some sins I ran from because it just hurt. Those are easy. What about the ones you still like? Right? What about the ones you still want? What about the ones that still make you feel good? Ooh, that felt so good. Right? What about those things? What about those proclivities? Right? I'm a Christian, but those don't make me take off my Christ hat. Hmm. Huh? If you're dead, how can you feel anything? Right? If you died to sin, how can you feel those attacks from the enemy? Right? Don't make me take off my cross. Don't make me put my Holy Ghost down. Right? See, these are things, these are things that we still like to do. Right? These are things that we still hold on a, on a little co compartment in our hearts and our desires. These are things that let the right thing happen. We have no problem going back to. Right? But these are the same things that hold us back from walking in the abundance of life and power and victory that God has promised. That unbelief, that disobedience, and that sin, although it may make us feel good for a minute, it does nothing in progressing us into that abundant life that God has promised for us. James 1, 12 through 17, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So we can't, we can't say that we received abundant life from God, but yet we're still rolling around in the pig pen with the people. We got to call this thing as it is. For me, for you, for us, for everybody. God calls us to righteousness. And he wants to give us some things, but we'll never get it if we keep holding on to those things that hold us back. Right? Because he doesn't give us eternal life and to just leave us to live by ourselves. Why would he give us eternal life with him in heaven, but allow the enemy just to beat us up down here? I'll see you when you get up here. No, that is not how he does it. Y'all all right? Okay, keep fighting. You only got a few more weeks. You're good. No. God is not leaving us to the devices and the handling of the enemy. He's called us to be his ambassadors. He's called us to walk in his kingdom agenda. He's called us to be his kingdom ambassadors here on this world. Jesus said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the world get to see the kingdom agenda through us. But we have to sign up and stay signed on. 
You can't sign up for this and then go sit down in the waiting room. You can't sign up for this and then go sit down and watch others do it. We've got to take up this walk. We've got to take up our cross. We have to take up this charge. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, a charge to keep our half and a God to glorify. The 37th Psalm verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. We have to stop appointing ourselves as little Jesuses. Stop resurrecting those dead things that passed away. If old things have passed away, don't you go back to it and say, Get up. If that old thing in you has passed away, let it die. Have a funeral, do a memorial, sing your last hymn, bury that thing, but walk on in the newness of life. It says old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now let's go back to Hebrews 12 and 2, to our text, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. If we place too much focus on what's going on around us and what we'll have to give up and not enough focus on what, what we'll gain and what we've already been given, we cancel out the joy we get in Christ and our place with him because of him. By focusing on what's going on around us too much, not saying to be oblivious. I'm never saying that. I'm never saying being oblivious to what's going on around you. The Bible is not saying be oblivious to what's going on around you. Right? But where's our focus? Right? Where's our focus? There are things that we give up along this walk. There are things that we give up along this walk because we're focusing on what other things are going on. Not that it doesn't hurt you. Not that it doesn't cause you to, to, to want to to, 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 you know what I'm saying, right? Right? But the fact is, there's some promises, there's a position next to Christ that's waiting for us if we get out of what's happening down here and focus on what's up there. Amen. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. It says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When we keep Jesus as a focal point, we see that our faith starts with him. Right? Everything you're going through, when you give your life to Jesus, Faith starts with him. Right? So you're already secure. Because remember, Jesus is the one. Anybody that can endure what he went through, hang on a cross, die, go in the grave for three days, and then get himself up, I'm going to follow you. And as of right now, he's the only one that's ever done it. 
and he prophesied that he would do it. So that's a bad dude. So if he can do that, then I can trust what he says about me and my circumstances. <laughs> right? So my faith is built on nothing less. Right? My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. Knowing that Jesus died and that he died just for me. I need no other arguments. Right? Our faith starts there. But by keeping it as the focal point, he not only starts our faith, our faith, but it's orchestrated by him. Our faith is orchestrated by him. So he not only starts it, but he's orchestrating. <laughs> he's conducting. He's leading. He's guiding. He's producing. He's arranging. He's composing. And then it's completed in him. So the fact is, when we believe at the point of conversion, Jesus starts the story, he writes the story, and finishes the story. But the only way to reap the benefits Jesus puts in the story is to walk by faith throughout the story. The story is what? The story of your life. The story of my life. The story of our lives. We have to continue to walk by faith and trust in Jesus and what he says about us. And then when we trust in what he says and we walk, we have to diligently lay aside every weight. Look at those things that's holding us back. Look at those things that we do that cancel out his plan for us in our lives. Right? We must keep our eyes fixed on him. But if we pay attention to the promise, we won't have to look too far for him because we're seated next to him in spiritual places. A lot of times people, we, we, get, we get upset because we don't see Jesus moving in our situation. But we got to remember what the Bible just told us, that we're seated together with him in heavenly places. So it doesn't matter what we're going through down here. Even if we're experiencing life's difficulties down here, if we're experiencing hurts down here, if we're experiencing disappointments down here, struggles down here, temptations down here, dysfunctional relationships down here, physical ailments down here, family problems down here. All of these things are in the visible, physical realm. But we can't focus on that. Because remember, we're seated. <laughs> we're still seated. Your body is going through these things on earth. Your body is suffering defeats. Your body may be suffering these things, but your spirit is seated with him in the invisible spiritual realm. We can endure by faith because our faith is not governed or shaken by what we can see. But Hebrews 11 and 1 tells us now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, he's in a position of power. If you look at a lot of the monarchies of old, when the king was on his throne, in his throne room, there were no other seats. Everybody stood. Because his throne is where he made decisions. 
The throne is where he declared war. The throne is where he doled out mercy. The throne is where he set things in order. Now his counselor stood on one side. His, 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 his army general stood on another. Family members stood in different places. But he was the only one that was seated. This said Jesus went and sat down on the right side. Jesus sat down on the side of, the fact that he sat down is more, is more than enough for me, but he sat at the right hand, which is the side of power, which is the side of prestige, which is the side of appointment, which is the side, Jesus is sitting in an all-powerful position, but it says that we're seated together with him in heavenly places. <laughs> so, so when life starts lifing, just know that you're seated next to the one with power. You're seated next to the one with appointment. You're seated next to the one with prestige. You're seated next to the one who can make anything happen. Because again, all he has to do is open his mouth and things will start to change. As a matter of fact, the last couple of times Jesus spoke, dead things woke up. The last time Jesus spoke, sicknesses were dried up. The last time Jesus spoke, demons were cast out. And you're being to tell me we're seated next to him and we're going to let this life, this world stop us from receiving the fullness and benefit of God over our lives? Jesus is in the power of decision making. And when he makes a decision about what we're going through, he has the power to strengthen us in it, change it, alter it, weaken it, or just straight out cancel it. And we can't forget that the Father has some kindness he wants to show us through his grace. Because you go back to that Ephesians, go back to that Ephesians, oh, it's not up. All right, I'll go back and read it myself. Ephesians 2, verse 7. I'll read the whole thing, just get a running start. 2, 2, 6, and 7. And raised us up together. This is the Father. God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So when we're walking this life and you're going through, God has some kindness he wants to put on the way. When you're facing a possible situation, God has some kindness he's going to leave on the way for you. But the only way to pick up that kindness is to keep walking. Only way to experience that kindness is to keep walking. I believe David said in 23rd Psalm, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We have to walk by faith. This, this, this Christ thing, this life as a Christian, this life as a believer is not meant to be sat down on. Right? It's not meant to just sit and just receive, but it's meant to be active and go get. Go apprehend. Jesus will, Jesus will grant us the victory, but he's not giving it to us. We got to go get it. The victory's already won. We have to go walk in the victory. Right? The grace has been given. We have to walk in the grace. The love has been given. We have to walk in the love. Salvation has been given, but we have to walk to salvation. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, the Bible lets us know. But not everybody going to be saved. Because we have to walk into these things. Amen? So everybody's standing.
the Bible lets us know that we will struggle for the believer. First of all, the unbeliever, you know you're struggling. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. But for the believer, lets us know we will struggle. Since we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. But sometimes our suffering seems like it holds us back from receiving the benefit, from receiving the blessing, from receiving the kindness, from receiving the understanding, from receiving the, the anointing that he has for us to help us be overcomers, but it seems like we're just dwellers. We have to learn to let things go. We have to learn to let things go. What in our life that we're holding to, uh, holding on to? What's in your life? What's in my life? What's in our lives that we're holding on to? That because we're holding on to it, we can't receive what he has for us. What is it that you're holding on to? That God is not able, or not God is able, we aren't able to receive from him because our hands are still holding on to unbelief. Our hearts are still holding on to disobedience. Our souls are still holding on to sin. We keep crying at night and worrying and complaining over the defeats, but there's victory for us if we let certain things go. Let's say amen for pastor being in the house. But there's victory that we forfeit. There's peace that we forfeit. There's understanding that we forfeit. There's an anointing that we forfeit because we hold on to those weights that so in sin that so easily beset us, that hold us back that weigh us down. We have to run to win the crown of righteousness, but we can't run because we're dragging unbelief. We're still dragging disobedience. We're still dragging sin. I just want to tell somebody, let it go. Let it go. There are some tears that we cry that we don't have to keep crying. There's some hurts that we, that we bear that we don't have to keep bearing. There's some disappointments that we are being disappointed with that don't have to disappoint us anymore if we let those things go. The enemy is going to do his job. Satan is going to do his job. He's going to present us with temptations. He's going to present us with past situations. He's going to present us with every failure that you did. Every fail. But when the enemy tells you about the failures you did, talk about the victory Jesus did. Yeah, I may have been a wretch, but Jesus conquered the cross. Yeah, I may have been a sinner, but Jesus conquered the grave. Yeah, that may have been me smoking all that stuff out there, but Jesus got up out the grave and called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we have to let it go. We have to let it go. We can't continue to hold on to these things that continue to hold us back, that keep us bound, that keep us shackled. Jesus kicked the door open. We have to walk out. 
we have to walk out and be honest and willing to let it go. So I present to you now, to the believer and to the sinner, to the sinner I present to you Jesus Christ. The first thing you have to be honest about and willing to let go is your sins. That sinful life that's opposite to what Jesus wants and has for you. Right? There is a line drawn in the sand. It's either sin or salvation. And I invite you to cross over to salvation. Jesus Christ didn't die just for us. He died for you. He loved you that much that he died for you. And to those that are saved, you, you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but yet you're still being held back. You're still suffering unnecessary losses. You're still suffering unnecessary letdowns, unnecessary defeats. You aren't walking in the abundance of life that God has promised because you're still holding on. I'm still holding on. We're still holding on to those things that hold us back. So the invitation to the sinner, come now and receive Jesus.